three of my favorite players that ever come out of Los Angeles, California is Raymond Lewis, John Williams, and Shea Khan. Growing up, Shea Cotton was the ultimate ball player at our age bracket. I remember, you know, getting ready and knowing that I was going to go watch Shea Cotton that night. But I think he had the potential to be, like, one of the greatest to ever play the game. And from the time that he was in seventh, eighth, you know, ninth grade, he was the number one player in the country, no matter what class he was in. Why is he not in the NBA? I still to this day don't know. Welcome to Keeping It Hundo. I'm your host, Matty Hundo. Today's guest is Shea Cotton. Shea has a documentary coming out called Manchild, The Shea Cotton Story. The term Manchild originates from Claude Brown's 1965 memoir, Manchild in the Promised Land, about growing up in the 1940s and 50s on the streets of Harlem. It was one of the earliest and most powerful accounts of ghetto life in its culture. A man-child originally referred to a boy or adolescent from the streets who was prematurely exposed to and knowledgeable about sex, violence, and crime, and being exposed to death at a young age and just coming from a dysfunctional home. Since the term was introduced in 1965, there's been many reiterations of it, but Shea Cotton was truly a man-child. Although Shea was known as a man-child because of his superior athletic and physical attributes on the court, I believe a lot of the vices that Claude Brown discussed in his 1965 memoir, Man-Child in the Promised Land, when that word was first introduced to pop culture, a lot of those same vices plagued Shea throughout his life. Not only was he already being touted as the best player in the country as an 8th grader, ninth grader, 10th grader, but he had that name, Shea Cotton. That's the name of legends like a LeBron James, a Larry Bird, a Magic Johnson. Shea Cotton. He was going to be a superstar. As a freshman and as a sophomore, he was a top-rated player in his class. He grew up in Long Beach and San Pedro, California. At the time, I was a basketball junkie. And it's safe to say I still am. And I kept hearing about this kid out in California named Shea Cotton. They mentioned him all the time in Slam Magazine. He was even on Scholastic Sports America on ESPN when he was in like seventh grade. And I had his posters and pictures from Slam Magazine and Sports Illustrated on my wall. So by the time he was 14, 15, he was already a household name in basketball circles. He was playing pickup ball with Magic Johnson. This is a lot to handle for a kid his age. A lot of pressure, a lot of expectations. Some would say too much. And the first time I ever saw him play was at the Boston Shootout, one of the best tournaments in the country for high school kids. Some of the best players to ever play in the NBA played in the Boston Shootout. And rarely did you see a freshman playing in the shootout because it was a collection of all-stars from different AAU teams from all over the city or even the state. Like the California team Shea was on. There were teams from Boston, New York, Chicago, DC, New Orleans, Atlanta, and there was a California team. Not Los Angeles, but the whole state of California. And Shea was a freshman and he was on that team and I was at his first game and he dominated. And I couldn't believe this kid was my age. He was catching lobs from Baron Davis. He basically ruined all my hopes and dreams of doing anything big in the game of basketball. He was a man-child. 
I've heard Paul Pierce say it. I've heard Ron Artest say it. I've heard KG say it. I've heard Baron Davis say it. LeBron James before there ever was a LeBron James. He was like LeBron before LeBron. A young phenom like LeBron. LeBron James before LeBron James. Before LeBron James, it was a shake high. He was LeBron James before LeBron James. He was a high school player of the year as a sophomore when his high school matted day won the state championship. I mean, he was a can't miss kid. He was that guy. He was LeBron. He was Zion. Before them, before YouTube, before social media, there was Slam Magazine. He was all over Slam every month. Back in the 90s, Slam was the Bible for what was hot and who was hot in basketball at the time. After attending a couple different high schools, a prep school, and a few colleges, he was set to go to the NBA. And on the night of the NBA draft, his name wasn't called. And that's when his real life began. In my opinion, it's the moment when he had to drop the label of man-child and become an actual man and just man up. There's been speculation about why he didn't make it, why he never played a game in the NBA, whether it was the unreasonable expectations that were placed on him at such an early age, or it was the sneaker companies, or the AAU teams, or the coaches, or the agents, or the people hanging out at his house every day when he got home from practice, the office of money, he was offered a house and two cars before his freshman year. And of course, there were the women. I mean, this dude looked like a grown man when he was 14. So you can imagine what was being thrown at him. Too much too soon. The AAUification of youth basketball. This is one of those stories. A cautionary tale. The can't miss kid who missed. Shea Cotton should have been an NBA legend. But should have been doesn't mean much in the real world, and neither do expectations. Instead, he played overseas. He had a good career overseas. He played in France, Venezuela, Yugoslavia, as it was known at the time, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Italy, Greece, and Iran. Imagine being told that you're the best basketball player in the country and promises of NBA riches and stardom, and then you find yourself in Serbia or Iran you're just wondering how the hell did I get here he was struggling with it so much at one point he even considered taking his own life it's sad it really is it's sad to hear that because I admired him so much but after a lot of introspection and maturing really it seems like he came out all right on the other side even played on the Long Beach Jam in the ABA with Dennis Rodman and they won a championship together. He retired at age 30, he had a daughter and he's given back to the community in Long Beach where he grew up, he's mentoring, he's done a TED talk and I think he has a future in public speaking and motivational speaking, do some stuff like Chris Heron's done. Chris is more on the addiction recovery side of things Expectations are often unfair and seldom lived up to, but he's also doing uh, player development work with basketball players in the LA, Long Beach area, and he's just paying it forward and giving back to the community. So how did Matty Hundo link up with Shea Cotton? Well, we have some mutual friends. I have a friend from college named Gary Hamilton. He plays over in Japan. Shout to G-Baby. 
G Baby played at U Miami. He had a brother play at UConn, one at Texas, and one at UCLA. So their family's not lacking for talent at all. He told me that Shea had trained a couple of his younger brothers, and he was a great guy. And I thought about having G reach out to him for me. I thought about having a couple other guys I know reach out to him for me that knew him already. But instead, I reached out to him, and Shea said he appreciated that. So that's how this whole podcast came about. I went out to Long Beach. Of course, I had to try to catch some waves while I was out there. I stopped by Seal Beach in the morning for a little surf. And then I met up with Shay for lunch. And we were going to record at this restaurant on the waterfront. Uh, I think it was like the Seal Beach Marina. Ended up being a little too loud. So we ended up recording it at Shay's crib in Long Beach. And I can honestly say I have a new friend. I definitely think Shay and I are going to keep in touch and we're going to do some things down the line. We have a couple projects in mind and I'd love to do anything I can to help him with Manchild, the Shay Cotton story, his soon to be released documentary. Hopefully we can make that happen. We're going to try to have a screening in Miami as well as some other cities around the country because it's a story that needs to be heard. It's a great documentary, not to mention he's an extraordinary talent. We speak in a lot of hyperbole throughout the podcast, especially Shay, but none of it is exaggeration. He was that guy. When he was a sophomore and Kevin Garnett was a senior, Shay dunked on him three times in one game and dropped 38 points. Kevin Garnett went on to be one of the best big men in NBA history, one of the best defensive players, and one of the fiercest competitors. At age 15, Shea wasn't backing down from him. That's a man-child. Did I mention Paul Pierce was on Kevin Garnett's team too? So he was doing big things against serious competition. This is my conversation coming straight from the LBC with my new friend, Shea Cotton. All right, so I think it was either May or June of 93 or 94, Boston, Massachusetts. I think it was your first Boston shootout. You remember what year that was? I want to say 90, it was 94 or 95. I want to say, was I a freshman? I can't you were remember. A freshman. Okay. All right. 94. So 94. Me and a couple of my boys, Hendu and J Bob, we roll into the Boston shootout like we do every year. Me and Hendu are hoping that we're actually playing in it by the time we become seniors. We were big shots on the freshman basketball team at this point in our little suburban Boston, <laughs> Beverly High. Um, I thought I was going to be playing on varsity as a freshman, and I wasn't. So I went and tore up the freshman league. And then uh, we show up at the Boston shootout. And we see that the California team has a kid named Shea Cotton on it that's a freshman. And he looks like LeBron James does now. And that's when my dream was killed. You're a dream killer. Because then <laughs> I, that's when I realized not only will I never make the NBA, but I'll never play Division I college basketball. Because that's what I have to compete with outside of my suburban 
league, you know, my right. area. I mean, right. I was playing AAU at the time, but we were staying in Massachusetts, in New England. We didn't leave there. This is what I have to contend with? I mean, you were dominating as a freshman. Yeah, it was, it was uh, first of all, the Boston shootout was like uh, very, very traditional at that time with Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, it was like a benchmark for me, it's something that I look forward to playing in. My brother played in it coming up, so and he had uh, rave reviews about it. He talked highly of the experience, you know, just the stuff that the gear that you get. I think they had Reebok as a sponsor at that time. Yeah, they had um, real sponsors. Yeah. And not to mention, it wasn't just the top AAU teams from different cities. It was a combination. You were taking all the best players in California, San right. Francisco, right. all the way down to right. San Diego and L.A. Right. And all you guys making a California team. Right. Coming across the country, you got teams from Chicago, New York, Detroit, mm -hmm. D.C., mm -hmm. Boston. The best players, everybody on those rosters, chock full of D1 Big time, ACC, Big East, Pac-10, uh, first round picks in the NBA draft, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And you came out there and dominated as a freshman. You got Baron Davis running the point. Mm -hmm. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Throwing you lobs. So this kid's catching like multiple lobs yeah. <laughs> in a game as a freshman. And he's playing against guys like Joe Smith and Antoine Walker and Stephon Marbury. I mean, all these guys. Yeah. And dominating. Yeah. What was it like for you as a freshman to be out there? It was it was a blessing to be on the court with guys that were older than me, that were ranked nationally. Um, at that time, I rose to, to the top of the charts nationally myself, uh, playing against a lot of NBA guys growing up at UCLA, playing against my brother, working out with him. You know, testing my skill against guys two, three, four years older than me, um, I felt the timing was 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 perfect. You know, and, and the Boston shootout was an opportunity for me to to put my face on the map in that part of the country. You know, like Northeast region. I wanted I wanted to be known. I mean, I grew up a Laker fan, still am today. And uh, the Celtics and the Lakers had so many rivalries over the years. I think it added to that experience being able to go to the Boston Garden to walk on the parquet floor. You know, that whole experience. I mean, I'm I'm a historian, too. I didn't just play. I studied. You know, I know about the Chief Robert Parrish in those days, Kevin McHale. You know, you had uh, Danny Ainge on that team. You had Bird. Um, KC Jones was part of that, that program. You know, you had a guy Dennis Johnson. from the same town that you're from. Yeah, Dennis, Dennis Johnson. Johnson. Rest in peace. You say San Pedro? Yes, sir. Yes, right. sir. I see that word. I say Pedro, but you guys yeah, pronounce it San, San Pedro. Pedro. Yeah, yeah. Now, right. Dennis Johnson, rest in peace. And his brother yep. Steve was my barber all through school. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, yeah. what's up, IG Live? Doing the uh, a podcast with my guy Hundo right here. Keeping it a Hundo. Yeah. Bean, Check it out on iTunes. Bean Town's finest. All yes, right, sir. so we just, you know, we're going from east to west. Pretty soon we're going to jump that pond and we're going international. So, you know, always uh, showing love and giving back. So that was one of your first times on the national platform where you got to kind of put yourself out there because AAU was just getting, you you playing on the, on the big stage with the AAU teams was just getting going at that point. Right, right. I think the Boston shootout was like a, a pinnacle at that time for me. I wanted to really go out, represent, and show well. I felt like I did that. You know, we had a um, talent-ridden um, squad with, with the Collins twins and Barron and Kenny Bruner, Chris Burgess, myself, uh, Eddie Miller, some other guys uh, that filled in the gaps. But on that team, I felt like I was the guy that had to set the tone, and I felt like I did that. One of the things I remember about your game, and I noticed it on that day, 
because that was the only time I'd ever seen you play live. I never saw you play live after that. Was you, you not only did you have hops, but you had quick hops mm-hmm. where like you catch a ball under the hoop. There's three guys covering you. Half a second later, you're dunking the ball. Right. Like right. you don't need all that time to gather. Right. Right. That was scary. Yeah. Yeah. That explosiveness. I attribute that to my training and my, you know, my trainer that I work with, Marv Marinovich, who really ignited the fast twitch in my body. I didn't know you trained with Marinovich. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Shout that's out a to Marv. Another thing. Yeah. I don't know if he's still living, but he wasn't doing so good. Did he ever have you doing? One of the things I heard is he had Todd eating. Kidney brain. Kidney brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get that extreme with him. I mean, he he went hard on Todd. Me and Todd used to train together quite often, but uh, Todd's a great dude too. Shout out to Todd Marinovich. Um, he had me on the training side, very dialed in. When a lot of people were kind of scared to train with him, they thought he was crazy. I just embraced it because, you know, I came from a no nonsense household. My father was uh, pretty much a stickler about certain things, so I was used to that stringent. Um, type of uh, discipline and, and Marv was a no-nonsense guy you come in here you go to work don't make no excuses and you give everything you got and that's what I did and then um, what type of stuff were you doing with Marv like is it anything that's completely out of the ordinary type stuff well I mean like things that guys use the Vertimax now the Vertimax is easy compared to what I used to use I did the bear and the supercat I mean that was a monster so it's like you know you got so much so many pounds of force that you're you're pushing up into the ceiling with your feet on yep. your back yep. and I'm doing these machines barefoot so you gain the control of your ligaments and tendons and your feet the balance yeah and you and you get that fast twitch all the way through your feet so those plays that you're talking about with shoes on it was like it was easy because I was used to training barefoot you know what I mean he knew then he was cutting edge he saw the future he saw like where my game could transcend and man did it I'm here with Shea Cotton. His real name, if Wikipedia got it right, is Vernon Chevalier, Chevalier Cotton. Yep. Yes, is sir. that pronounced correctly? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Your family, I was going to ask you this, and we just had lunch, so you told me. Roots are in um, New Orleans, Louisiana. Correct. I always find that stuff interesting. Uh, the, the Great Migration, read a book about it, where families went, why they went there, and most of the L.A., african-american community started out in uh louisiana mm-hmm. so you're a product of that yes sir yes sir you you're see also... i got my lafleur right there oh i see it yeah you see my you daughter's the... repping the saints right here so we got it on both ends. the saints lafleur <laughs> that's it who that who that nation what up kenny i see you kenny anderson just chimed in okay right there it's my guy hundo kenny is that chibs I yes sir chibs. yes sir that's yep. bean town right there yes, sir the i know Will city of angels me. Will Frisbee, that's a, that's my boy. He knows. Okay, that's right. Went to school. He's a University of Miami guy. He played there. Nice. Shout out to the U. Kenny knows him. Right now, we're with Shea Cotton. I want to talk about Manchild. Manchild is Shea's documentary that's coming out. Well, actually, it's been released, but it's going to be released again. Yeah, privately we screened it, so we haven't released it to the public, so okay. we're working on that now, distribution. We're going to have more screenings. Uh, he's working on that. I'm working on that. It's probably going to make its way around the country. It's something everybody wants to see. I know a few years ago, before we even heard about this project, I spoke about it with friends and said, wow, you know, you know, it'll be a great documentary. The story of Shea Cotton, because that's a story that people want to see. People want to know. And I think that the story transcends sports, even though right now, like, I think that that's the key to getting this thing out mm-hmm. is getting other people interested in it that don't know who you are, that don't follow sports. Exactly. You know, exactly. That's how that's how I feel. Not to interject, um, we want to intertwine people that don't know about my story or know of me, 
to get involved and, you know, to spread the word. I think um, the fastest marketing is word of mouth. And the people that we've been able to, to have sit down and see it that have privately screened, they love it. They can't stop talking about it, you know, from NBA personnel to NBA players, you know, to the media, mass media, to any writers, reporters, to everyday people, to some of my peers that I grew yeah, up with. Yeah, you said you heard from some some people's moms, you had grown people crying when they saw it. Absolutely. It, it hit them, the heartstrings, you know, the, the film, it, it, it goes beyond basketball. It's a humanitarian story about a guy that came from humble beginnings with a family that was very tight knit and intertwined and the powers that be came in and, you know, things happened out of my control, but you know, how I ascended to certain levels at such a young age, it became like the benchmark for all my peers uh, that I was playing with and against to aspire to become NBA players. And, and they're talking about it in the film that I helped drive them to become NBA all-stars and so on and so forth. You got guys like Randy Moss, Paul Pierce, Baron Davis. Those yeah. guys are in the film, Yes, right? sir. Tyson Chandler, uh, Darrell Wright, um, Drew Gooden. Uh, we, we've got a host of guys, Eric Chenoweth. There's a, there's a lot, of, lot of guys in there that are all from the era. And, and the stories that they're telling is real. I was Casey nowhere around. Jacobson. Absolutely. I saw Casey him in Jacobson. there. Yep. Yes, sir. Uh, you're raised in San Pedro. We spoke about that. How did you end up? You started out at St. John Bosco. Correct. How'd you end up there? Was there a big recruiting situation going on with high school? It was. Um, because you were already a household name by what? Eighth grade? Seventh grade? Yeah, seventh grade. I mean, I was a class sports America ESPN in sixth grade. So you wow. know, right, right through that middle, middle school era, I was becoming highly talented on a national level. And at that time, city schools were having problems with the funding with the edge sports program. So I was kind of worried about my future going to college. So I wanted to go to a private school where it would be protected. Yep. And uh, my brother was at St. John Bosco when he transferred from Artesia. Okay. So I felt like, you know, it was a good fit. I was familiar with the school. And Your brother uh, went to Artesia for a little bit? Right. Was and he over there with Evandra Jones? He was. And Charles O'Bannon, too. Charles was at Artesia. Uh, yeah. That's right. Um, whatever happened to Evandra? He went to Fresno State, and then I know he pursued a career, I think, in rapping after. I don't know exactly what he's doing now. You haven't seen him no, in I the last seen five, ten years? Yeah, it's been a while. Wow. That guy was, he was talented, too. Yeah, absolutely. He was like a KG. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was big time. Okay, so you end up at St. John Bosco. You got uh, Jelani Gardner over there. Correct. He's already, he was a McDonald's All-American. Correct. His senior year. Correct. Was yeah. he a senior when you were freshman? Yeah, he was a senior. You know, it just didn't work out. I don't have to throw people under the bus. That's not my style. It just didn't work out. And I chose to transfer before our season started to uh, Modern Day. Modern Day was a great fit for me because my AAU coach had, had coached at Modern Day back in the day. He had a close rapport with, with Coach McKnight. And the coaching staff, and I, I watched them several times, you know, when I was growing up in middle school, going to games, their style of play, you know, the fanfare, the way that, you know, where the coach coached, and, and the coaches better players. It motivated me to want to be a part of that because it was something that I hadn't seen before, you know, the way they approached the game, the tradition of winning, and how they went about taking care of business. Modern Day was a powerhouse, uh, nationally ranked program out of Santa Ana. Uh, shout out to Cutter Calhoun, my boy from from Santa Ana. He was a guest on the podcast. Okay. Um, yeah. Before we get to your dominance on the basketball court, I heard that you were all right on the football field. Yeah, that's uh, that was the interesting thing. When I was at Modern Day, they actually wanted me to come out and play receiver because I was fast. You know, I had probably like a 
4440. I mean, I had wheels at my size at 64 and a half at that time. Yeah, yeah. what was your size in high school as a freshman? Uh, I was about 64 and a half, uh, about uh, 190, 195. Okay. Yeah, I was solid. Bench, so you, benching about 300 at that time, you know, just lift, lifting with the football team. <laughs> that's, that's, that's mob. Some of right, that's mob. Right, right. yeah. And, and then, you know, just my, my God-given strength, my father, I mean, just that blood, man, that did those genes. You know, I think when you train and you train and you push your body to the limit, it develops a different beast, you know. I mean, my brother, too, I mean, he helped push me. You know, having an older brother that's pushing on you and being aggressive – you find ways to get stronger. He was two or three years Two ahead and a half. Yeah, two and a half years. And how about in school? Um, he was a senior, he was, senior freshman? Yeah, I want to say, let me see. He was a freshman in college when I was, yeah, it was like two years, I think, in front of me. Okay. Yeah, something like that. So we always kind of missed each other. So you end up winning the state title as a sophomore and a junior at Matter Day? Uh, I won as a sophomore. We won CIF freshman and sophomore. Okay. Yeah. So you dominate as a sophomore. You're the number one sophomore in the country. Right. And the recruiting starts. Mm-hmm. Who's coming at you hard at first? Would you? What, what do you remember the first like besides like the, the UCLA? UCLA. I UCLA was one. They stood out. Syracuse. Were you playing at Poly in those runs as a? Oh yeah, sophomore I was. Yeah, at the a, UCLA men's West Gym. I mean, I was 14, 15 years old in there running with Magic. You know, walking into the gym, he's got all NBA roster on his on his team, and he's like, "I got cotton." As soon as I hit the gym, and this is in the '80s, like late '80s, early '90s. This is like uh, the Showtime era with the Lakers. Wow, this was unreal. So I'm like, the Magic Man, the guy that I look up to, the guy that really got me fired up about basketball, wants me to play on his team. I knew that I was getting. And I heard in those runs, Magic, he picks teams where he doesn't lose. Absolutely. So if he wants you on that team. That yeah. says something because he's not putting you on the team so he can play with you. He's putting on that team so he can win. Absolutely. And he Absolutely. knows you're going to help him win. Absolutely. And it comes down to the last shot. He's calling foul every time until I that ball that. goes in. I so. heard that. <laughs> Shouts out to the Magic, man. Wow. I, like, I, we're the same exact age. I can't imagine Larry Bird picking me to play on his team. That's what that is. That's the yeah. equivalent of that. Yeah. I wouldn't even be able to, to handle it. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. And it... it it kind of makes sense why things didn't end up the way that you planned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this is too much for a 13-year-old right. to be playing pickup ball with Magic Johnson. This isn't just, hey, uh, go over there and take a shot and like, yeah, be on my team. Like, right. no, nah, this was like real runs Absolutely. where you're really playing ball against NBA guys at age 13. Absolutely. It's overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming to, for me to even think about doing that. Yeah. And I, I say that with all due respect. So while you're in high school, around the same age, uh, you're a sophomore, I think, your best friend gets killed. Mm-hmm. Junkyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was 15. Um, I think it was right around my freshman year. I was rising up the charts um, nationally. He was here. He was going back and forth. He had family in Baltimore by way of San Pedro. And um, I think he had came home for a little while to visit. And it was the summertime, and his buddy that we grew up with was home also from from football, playing in college. And he, uh, I guess, had a situation from back in the day with some his, some Hispanic guys from the neighborhood, and uh, something something took place, and they didn't forget. 
and got word that he was home. And uh, my man Junkyard was at his grandmother's house with him, just hanging out watching videos, I think rap videos or something, and got a knock at the door. And the peephole, I guess, was, was closed in the door, so they kind of cracked the door with the, with the lock on it at the top and kind of slid the door open. And they looked in and saw who it was, and they kicked the door and immediately. They shot his boy, killed him, and then my, my boy Junkyard tried to run out the back of the house. They sent somebody around the back of the house, so when he opened the door, they shot him with a 12-gauge a few times, and then that was pretty much it. You know, body decomposed, and uh, it was tough, man. I mean, I, me and him were close. We'd walk to school a lot and talk about our dreams and goals and, you know, just going to college. He playing football, I'm playing basketball, and having an opportunity to play in the NBA and the NFL one day. His dreams were taken at 15. So my life changed after that drastically. I grew up so much, and I looked at everything differently from that point. It wasn't so much fun and games no more. Yeah, that's heavy stuff for a 15-year-old. Uh, for the record, you you did kill my dreams of going to the NBA, too. <laughs> um, not to make light of the situation, but you are a dream killer. You end up as State Player of the Year as a sophomore and a junior, is that right? As a sophomore, yeah. Junior year, I transferred to St. John Bosco. Okay. And we wound up becoming uh, USA Today Top 25. We beat St. John's Prospect Hall, which had uh, a yeah, Rico Hines. Yeah, Mooney Muhammad played at uh, yep. Clemson, I believe, and then Nate James went to uh, Duke. Duke. So it was, it was a strong year for me. And then I wound up tearing my shoulder up that summer playing against Lamar Odom and the Long Island Panthers, and I had never really been injured, so to have a reconstruction to my labrum. Uh, I had to sit out six months. I was a McDonald's All-American. My listeners know I have a torn labrum <laughs> as we speak. Oh, man, no fun. Yeah, yeah. No fun. And, you know, it's everything changed after the injury came. I had to sit out my senior year. Uh, like I said, I was a McDonald's All-American, and then it, they wound up reneging on my invitation to play in the game. Because you were Because hurt. I was injured. But the interesting thing is, I was healthy enough at the time to play. I got healthy and the timing was right, but they didn't let me go. They let somebody replace me and that guy turned around and got hurt, I heard, and ah. still went to the to experience. So knowing that, it was just kind of like, man, I worked so hard my high school career to not yeah, Everybody get wants to play in the McDonald's game. Yeah, yeah, to not get that nod. That was like the epitome, but it drove me even more. I think what I got wrong was you were the first sophomore to win state player of the year Correct. and it's never been done since hasn't been done since Correct. that's yeah that's huge like I, a sophomore being I mean they, they usually even if you are the best as a sophomore they don't even allow you to win that award they still right. give it to like a senior as like right. a token of appreciation right I remember after seeing you play you were in every slam magazine you were you had a spread in sports illustrated mm -hmm. You're on the you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, the four page layout inside the Brazil when they won the World Cup. Viva Brazil! That okay. edition. I had this picture. I'm about to show them right now. I had this picture. Uh -oh. SI. Yep. On my bedroom wall as a kid. Wow. Next to my bed, I had like I had a Larry Bird corner. Uh huh. I had a Jordan wall. I had an Eric Davis poster mm. from Fremont High, yeah, LA, that's South right. Central. That's yeah. Right. yeah, my favorite baseball player. Okay, I had Lawrence Taylor, my favorite football player. Wow. He had a section. Wow, I had the high school basketball section of like kind of like my peers because you were the same age as me. I had a bunch of them dudes over there, but you were the the middle of it with this big picture right here, dunking over a bunch of dudes like 
man, this guy was in Sports Illustrated when we were 15. Like, I can't even fathom this stuff. Oh, and I did have a mural that I made, this big-ass mural with tons and tons of pictures of Reggie Lewis. Oh, wow. Because he was my favorite on the big Celtics time. when he yeah, passed. Big time. Baltimore yeah. guy, too. Yes, sir. Yeah, Dunbar. Too. Yeah, Dunbar, yep. I actually have a funny story about that. When he passed, I was so hurt by it, I skipped school and took the train to the funeral. Wow. And my family didn't know I did that. I was like 15. Right. And I snuck into the funeral and sat in like the first or second row with the family. Mm-hmm. A little white dude by himself. Wow. And it was like, I was on I was on TV on the news because they had the funeral all on the news and stuff. Right. And my that's how I got caught skipping school. My parents uh, saw me on TV. Unreal. <laughs> unreal. Big yep. time Boston fan, for sure. Yeah. And Reggie was tough, man. Yep, he was. He went to uh, Northeastern? Yeah, played yeah. at Northeastern that's in Boston. Thought. Yeah. Yep, so Boston loved him. He was he was a legend at Northeastern, all-time leading scorer there. Mm-hmm. Drafted him in the first round. So let's talk more about the recruiting. You were uh, class of 97. Mm-hmm. Who were who the guys besides you that everybody was talking about? Was BD? Uh, Barron was a year under. He was 98. Yeah, so he was a year under. But I want to say, uh, man, well, we had like Elton Brand, uh, Ron Artest. Oh, Lamar Odom. Piece, Lamar Odom, yeah. Yep. Uh, Garnett had already came out. Yep. He was the first to go to the league out of the high school. And then Kobe came in later. Kobe was my year in 96. Yeah, there was a lot of guys in my age group on a national level, but as far as my class... To be honest with you, it's kind of like it's a cloud now. Yeah. Like I can't even remember. I know all the names, but I don't know who came out when. Yeah. Does that yeah, make yeah. sense? But it, it, let's be honest, it didn't even matter. Right. Every school wanted you. You were getting bags from everybody. Yeah. I mean, you got. You don't have to put anybody on blast, but you were getting money. No. You didn't get you, no. Nobody. They paid wanted you. to give me. Yeah. They okay. You to got pay offers. Me. Yeah. Absolutely. Offers Houses, of, cars, all that stuff. Yeah. The cash, and jewelry. You personally turned it down, or your family turned it Both. down, or yeah. Both. Yeah. I was raised differently, you know, and I think that's what makes my story so um, intriguing. That I had all these opportunities, but didn't take advantage of all the opportunities. But had a Nike deal without the money. You know, I was getting boxes. I mean, boxes three and four feet tall coming to my doorstep every week, you know, with all the latest stuff that hadn't even hit the, the stores yet. Yeah. So it was kind of like a a built-in Nike deal. It was an understanding, building a relationship with them. They felt really good about where we were in our relationship, how I was developing and evolving, and, you know, just being a professional at the same time. And we're talking about being 15 years old, man. People don't realize the pressure behind that it's it's there. It's hitting. It's indirect, but you know it's there. It's it, you feel it when you don't play well. It, you really feel it every day, having to play well, no matter how you felt, because you don't know who's in who's in the mm-hmm. stands watching. Every tournament, yep. every practice, absolutely. There's people watching. Yeah, there's coaches in the gym. I'm playing high school modern day. We have four or five D1 coaches in every practice. Mm-hmm. Arizona Ludosa was at all the practices. Jim Herrick. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I see Jim Beheim from Syracuse. I mean, these guys were coming in. I'm like, man, I'm getting closer. As we speak, I'm starting to realize one of the reasons why it may uh, the, the pressure may have got to you was because, like me, you studied this stuff. You were mm-hmm. a historian. Mm-hmm. You were aware of these people mm-hmm. and what they meant. The weight of how big 
you had become. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of dudes, like some of the dudes I grew up with who played ball, whether it was college or pro, they were kind of like, oh, I didn't really follow basketball as a kid. I just played. I didn't really know that much about it. And one of my best friends, Elton Tyler, he played mm-hmm. it at University of Miami. He's mm-hmm. from Boston. He said uh, he was in class one day in high school and somebody said, I'm messing the story up, but it was like, Rick Pitino's here to see you play. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, who the, who the hell is Rick Pitino? Right. You know? Right. He, he just didn't follow it like that, so he right. didn't know. Right. But like, if you know who that is and what that represents, you're going to get nervous. Yeah. You're going to tighten up. Yeah. And I think I think that now hearing you say you were you were so enthralled with all this stuff like I was watching and learning and studying the game. Yeah. That, you know, the pressure got to you a little bit. Yeah. Now, as the pressure's getting to you, when when times are tough, whether it's pressure or I dealt with depression, when times are tough, you try to find outlets to make yourself feel better. Were you doing anything? Were you drinking? Were you using drugs? No, I wasn't at that. I wasn't. Not Um, in high school. No, I, uh, I gravitated to women. It was interesting. Which is what I've done in the past. Yeah. Because you, and and people take that the wrong way. They think because you, you know, you gravitate to a woman that you just, oh, you want to be a playboy. People don't know what you're really dealing with. There's things that are going to come out like the book that we got that's almost done. That's going to be published and, and released here sometime, probably in the summer. You know, I'm going to be Is talking. Is the book about, going to be called Manchild as well? Most or? likely, yeah, yeah, most likely. And I'm going to be, we're going to be talking about some of these things that that haven't been released, that aren't haven't been revealed. And for me, it was, well, the intimacy factor was going to take me to a place of elation, where I'm not feeling that hurt, that pain, or yep. or, or the pressure of certain things. I can get checked out for a little while because when you're 15, and your peers. Or, or somebody different from you recognize you can't hang out with them. They're doing stuff that you know you can't do. Yep. So who do you turn to yep. when you need advice? So I had to lean on my parents, talk to my brother, try to stay close to the people that I was dialed in with. And a lot of those people happen to be Nike people too. I mean, I'd call some of my contacts. Hey, look, you know, what, what do you think about this? You know, just kind of pick their brain because they were coming to my house having dinner. You know, I mean, this was a real relationship being built. You know, we're talking about the most powerful shoe company ever, you know. So, and then to go from that point into a game that sold out in front of 4,000 people, and you got Nike execs there, you know, you you got Jerry West coming to your games, talking to your parents about your son's future as a sophomore in high school. I mean, before they started doing this, but they were looking at you as a brand. Right. And that's, you came, you came along like, right before it, it blew up and, yeah. and players started becoming brands and you know you would have you would have signed a contract with with Nike as soon as you declared for the draft mm-hmm. you wouldn't even it wouldn't even have had to wait and see if you did or didn't get drafted right like it right. would have been a done deal yeah things are different but women are are a drug and that's yeah. that's what a lot of people use to to make themselves I don't even know if it's to make you feel better it's an escape yeah, to like, like numb it. To, yeah, just, yeah. Okay, it's like I'm for the next hour, I'm all into this. And it's like it didn't even happen. Yep. And then when it's over, you go back to it, and it's almost like it's worse because you try to suppress it. Mm-hmm. And now it's veering its ugly head even more. Yep. You know? It makes a lot of sense. 
couple things we forgot to mention in AAU is you dunked on KG twice in the same game. Three times, I want to say. Yeah. In the same game? Yeah. God. In Vegas. Yeah, it was a big-time game. KG <laughs> was playing with K-Swiss Pacers uh, with Paul Pierce, uh, Tremaine Ross, my guy, uh, Term. Shout out to the K-Swiss Pacers. Um, Barron was on the younger team at that time. So uh, KG flew in. I was in summer school. My AAU coach called me and was like, look, we need you. K-Swiss is flying in KG, you know, this or that. So this is an L.A. team. Right. They're flying in KG. Correct. So it's Paul Pierce and KG. Right. Against then, our squad. And your Nike team. Yeah. SoCal All-Stars. Okay. And uh, we were loaded at that time. We had a good team. It was myself, Kenny Bruner, Chris Burgess. I think we had Chris Owens out of Duncanville, Texas. And we had a host of other guys that was playing with us. We're a strong team. But I put us over the hump. I came in, did what I had to do. You know, he flew me out. Had about 38 points. And I think we lost by like five or seven or something like that. I just needed a little help. The rest of the guys were flat. My big had got had got pretty much destroyed by KG for the first time ever that I seen him get exposed Burgess. like that. No, I don't want to give up names, right, but you know, right. it, yeah, he knows who he is, and I love him. So you know, it, it is what it is. But I never seen that before, and a guy like KG possessed that type of prowess at that size to be able to handle. You know, to be able to shoot it, had nice touch. You know, he competed every possession. He rebounded, he defended. You know, he'd throw it on you. he hit you the hook shot. I mean, with all kind of antics. I knew dude was going to be a, a pro, and I knew he'd be special after that. He still had that. He was he was barking like a dog. Absolutely, and absolutely. Intimidating, oh, trying yeah. to do all that stuff. Yeah, just thought with the energy and, you know, high energy at that. At 15, how were you not intimidated by this dude? He was like 17, 18. Just like I said, going back to, you know, my, my my development, that process, playing against Grant Hill, playing against Jimmy Jackson in the summer at UCLA. It's like, all right, we got some more high school dudes. Uh, those They're dudes just, are grown men. Right. They right. were grown men. Exactly. Then I was holding my you own were a against kid. them. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it just it's interesting when I look back. Yeah. Let's finish up some of this high school stuff. You went to three or four different high schools? And two? you ended up at a prep school. Yeah, I went St. to Thomas two. More. I did Bosco, modern day, and then finished at Bosco on the back end. Okay. Wound up uh, committing so you, to Long Beach State. Oh, yeah. So at first, you're Long Beach State because your brother's there. Right. For the listeners who don't know, his brother James Cotton was a great player at Long Beach State. From what I heard, I remember seeing him play, but I talked to some NBA guys. They told me he was a lockdown defender, mm-hmm. uh, could score a little bit. Had a, had a little NBA career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Played for what? The Bulls? And the so- Seattle Sonics. Yeah. Sonics. Played about four years. Okay. So you go there to play with him, and he ends up leaving early. Right. So he's no longer there. You don't want to stay at Long Beach State anymore. Right. That was the whole purpose for us to play together. I mean, yeah. it, there was a lot of money that was put behind that whole movement. And I think that contributed to the way my career went after that, too. What do you, so, what do you mean there was a lot of money? Well, there was a big money it. deal, big uh, TV deal between Fox and ESPN. Okay. That, that, was, that was done at that time. That every Long Beach game, State was going to get some correct, games on TV. Correct. Now. Every game. Every okay. game would be on Fox and on ESPN, either or. Okay. And uh, I think it was an upward $2 million deal somewhere in there, which was big at that time. Yeah, so, yeah. And the Staples Center that's downtown for the Lakers would have been the Staples Center of the Pyramid now. So that never happened. That deal never went through because I wound up backing out of my commitment. When my brother went hardship, I said, look, I only went here because I wanted to play together with you. I could go bigger. 
you know, I guess my, my release was conditional and didn't realize it. So I decided to go hardship and I wanted to go to UCLA, open my recruiting back up. So, so did you UCLA. know a bunch of the UCLA guys from those runs? Were yeah, you playing I knew, with the old you know, and all these guys we came up came up playing against, training with, and all Toby that. Bailey. Yeah, all these guys. Yeah, played against Toby. Went to Loyola High School. Him and his brother Ryan Bailey. Yeah, played him in the in UCLA in the uh, the CIF playoffs. Gave them like thirty two. He broke my nose on an open up screen elbow. Boom. Toby. Yeah, Damn. he had me on the floor leaking. I told the trainer, you know, stop the bleeding. I'm going back in. Gave him eighteen more, and we finished at the victor. So. I was ready for everything that was taking place because of the process that I went through to get there. People just saw the end result. They didn't see the work that I put in. Right. They didn't see the trenches that I lived in. They didn't see me doing construction in the summer with me and my brother at 12 and 13 years old, carrying concrete boulders of, of, of uh, bricks and, and, and stuff like that, hauling them off and learning how to drive a skip loader. And, you know, just doing real manual labor and hard work at young age, teaching me the value of work ethic. Yeah. I hated it, but I love my father dearly now for what he instilled in me. And may he rest in peace. I remember similar situations like that, having to do all types of manual labor as a kid that I didn't want to do. And yeah. looking back at it, best thing for me. Absolutely. Yeah. So UCLA... You're ready to go there. It's a dream come true. I remember watching those teams. They won the championship in like 95, I think, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So you're in high school at that time. You're seeing those teams. I wanted to play for that team, and I wasn't even a UCLA fan. They, right. they made me a fan because that team was so fun to watch. Right. And so the plan is to go there, and then you find out that they don't want to take one of your test scores. Right. Something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I invalidated the same one that Long Beach State granted, basically. For the scholarship. Does it, to me, it sounds like there's a hater involved there. Somebody came in and told UCLA, whether it was USC or somebody who doesn't yeah. want UCLA to get Shea Cotton. Yeah. Comes in. Yeah. I mean, doesn't it sound like yeah, that Yeah, something I, happened. I can't there. see UCLA looking at it and being like, oh, well, Long Beach State got, got this approved, but let's not approve it. Let, no. We don't want him here. You no. know, I don't think that's what happened. No, I don't think it's on their end. Um, there was a whistleblower. Yeah, there was some wrongdoing. Maybe it was Long Beach State yeah, that it, was, you know, sour. The, the speculation is there. And, and watching the film, it's going to lend to that as well. So okay. now where it came from, I'm not sure, but something happened that should have happened. Yeah, that, that's clear. Is that when you end up going to St. Thomas More? Yeah, so my uh, teacher walked up, the professor actually walked up to me and handed me this newspaper that said NC2A invalidates Cotton's test score. I mean, it's like the bottom fell out. We're all excited. UCLA is like Westwood. You might as well say Beverly Hills. Yep. Right? It is. And then I'm trying to figure out, okay, so where do I go from here? They don't take Prop 48s. I'm not going to a junior college. So I looked into the prep school route, and I chose St. Thomas More. You know, played for Jerry Quinn up there. Had a great experience. It was hell at first. I can imagine. You I know? mean, it was real strict, all that stuff. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was just because I didn't want to be there. Like, I didn't even care about wearing the penguin suit. It's all boys, you know, the penguin suit, the jacket tied, yes. all that. Yes, you got to dress up every day. Your room has to be like immaculate. Yeah. You know, you got you got the headmaster coming in and taking a look, making sure everything's together before you can go to breakfast. But you, you were already at UCLA. Now you got to go back to a prep school. Like, that's got to be... Like taking a step back. So anticlimactic. Right. But for me, it was more about, okay, this is the journey. I got to make the most of a bad situation. And I'm going to give them hell because I don't even supposed to be here. And I want them to know that I'm mad. My game is going to show that, that I'm just going to be relentless out here. You know, and 
averaged over 30 a game, had a great group of guys I played with, Aju Ding, yep, who wound yep, up going yep. to UConn. I think he finished at Fairfield. Yep. Uh, Charles Cranford from, from Queens uh, went to Cardoza High School and wound up going to St. Louis University. Mike King, who played at GW, who's my roommate from Baltimore. Uh, shout out to be more Mike King. A guy, Rusty, from Tennessee, a country board guard, tough as nails. Rusty sounds like he's from Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> my guy, Chunk, Chunk Urson, another Italian, Italian brother. Um, he's living in Texas now. He's from that Baltimore area, Mike, Mike Urson. So uh, he wound up playing in college. I'm not sure where he played at, but a uh, great group of guys, you know, Developed a bond for life. That that's the Nepsack, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good league. Yeah. It's good basketball. W- Wooster, Wingerton, uh, you know, you, you play, yeah, yeah, Wooster, Wooster Academy, Wooster, there it is. <laughs> that's that. That's that Boston. My, my college roommates uh, when I went to school in Union in New York, yeah. I had two roommates from Wooster Academy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember we got football them, though. Gave them about thirty something to it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> it was around the horn, but I think they had a big seven foot white dude. Yeah, at that time. What's that cat? I might have put I can't one remember on his head too. <laughs> I'm sure but, uh, you did. You put it on KG, you definitely put it on yeah, a big seven yeah. foot white dude's head. Man, I'm telling you. But uh, you know, from there, the recruiting opened up again, and I wound up going with NC State. Georgia Tech was on me tough. Al Harrington was um, in between if he was going to go to the NBA league or go or... to the college. And Bobby Kremens came in and basically told me, he said, look, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to sign. You're going to have to commit on the visit. I was excited about the NC State thing because as a kid, I always watched the ACC. I watched Florida State. I watched Maryland play a lot. I was a big fan of Walt Williams when he was playing. I was, I was familiar with Lynn Bias and his story. Those teams were so fun to watch, man. Yeah. And I, I look forward to it. NC State was big time. David yep. Thompson was the biggest thing they had. And they said that I would be the next best thing since him. You remember Fire and Ice? Oh, yeah, of course. Cochiani and Rodney Monroe. Absolutely. Moreau. Another really? Italian dude. Cochiani's from Cianni's Coral tough. Gables. Really? Coral Gables, yeah. That's right University by the University, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was tough, too. And, I, you know, the Coach Wittenberg days with Valvano. Yep. You know, the Thurl Bailey. And, I mean, they, they've had great teams over the years. Sidney Lowe. Yep. And, and I had... A great feel there. I felt like this was home. They invited me with open arms. You know, at NC State, man, there's something about those fans. That fan base is big time. So, and I think there's still a lot of love there, even though I didn't play there. They really wanted that to work out. So, to go from that to come back home, I wound up playing at Long Beach City College. Hold on. So, how did you end up not playing at NC State? The NC two A thing was still still lurking, and what, then the they had score? just got off probation from the Valvano era. And the coach, Herb Sendek, yeah. wouldn't pull the trigger to bring me in. All the coaches voted me in. They wanted me there. But he didn't have the cojones to put his foot down and say, yeah, I want him here. So the deal went away. I went home, played Long Beach City College, averaged over 30 a game. We won like 33 games straight before we lost what was, the game. What was that competition like at Long Beach City College compared to, say, St. Thomas Moore? And then the college level, where would you put it? Uh, it's between JUCO and, and and right below D1. Okay. You know, some guys in, in junior college are very talented. You know what I'm saying? But they didn't have the grades, so. Is it like when you play, you know when you play like a good white boy team with fundamentals? Right. And then you play a good inner city team, mm-hmm. but they got no structure? Right. Right. It's kind of like that? Some teams, yeah. Some schools you played against were like that, and then other schools were like 
structure. They may have one good player and everybody else is just kind of like role players, you know. But guys are out there playing hard. The physicals there, you know, guys are more mature. There's so, athleticism. Yeah, guys are stronger, so you got to really work to get your shot off and things like that. But I destroyed, you know what I mean? I didn't care. Like, when I came home, I was on a tear like, oh, boy, they messing with the wrong one. So I had to lay it on the line. And I'm back in front of my peers. So I had to re-represent all over again. Absolutely. Everybody's trying to make a name off me. So I got to go twice as hard just to show you you're not in my class. So you played one year there? Yeah, I did one year at Long Beach City College, and then I signed with University of Alabama. And, and once you signed with Alabama, you have two years left? Right, right. Okay. So I, I did that, and uh, actually, excuse me, three, because I did the freshman year. One year was considered from JUCO. They took one year out of college. Okay. So I had three left. Was transferring in as a sophomore. You um, had to sit out a year at Alabama. No, went straight in. Okay. And I was a JUCO newcomer of the year. Um, you know, I had the accolades. In the there. SEC or in the country? In the country. And then it, going into the SEC, uh, my coach had recruited me, Mark Godfrey, when he was That's at UCLA. Right. Yeah, here. UCLA. So he, we had a rapport already. Felt like it was a match made in heaven. The agreement was for me to play my position to three. They have a guard to get me the ball, and I'd be able to do my thing. And if I could get it done in one year, he, he'd grant me to go to the next level. And if it took longer, then we, we evaluated after the season. So I got to Alabama, had a good time, felt like home, comfortable. I was playing well in the preseason, averaging like 30 and 8. And then the conference time comes around. One of our bigs go down. My coach calls me in for a meeting and explains the situation. I was the only one with college experience. Everybody else was younger. He said, you know, you're the toughest guy that we have to play this position. You know, we need you to play out of position. You got to play the four. So it was out of necessity for the team. Right. Because I was wondering, was he asking you to sacrifice so that way you wouldn't get all that shine and you wouldn't leave early? Well, I mean, that's, that's another way to look at to it. sacrifice for the team. Yeah, that's yeah. another way to look at it, too. But I think he was sacri- sacrificing me for the team. Yeah. So other local guys could get more touches because I was scoring in bunches. So it's kind of like there's only so many possessions in the game. And if you play out of position, then these, these wings can get these shots up and you figure it out from there. There was no plays being ran anymore. And it was like really a match made in hell at that point for me because I was like, man, you lied to me and my parents in our house to get me out here. Right. And I could have went anywhere in the country to do this. You yeah, know? I, and it cut my stats in half. I went from 30 and 8 to 16 and 7. It's a big difference. I remember seeing that. I didn't realize it was because of Mark Gottfried until I, at least I forgot because that was 15 years ago or 20 years ago. But I was just like, how do you end up at Alabama? Like, it just seems like such an unlikely place yeah. for a guy like you to end up. Yeah. You know? Just the opportunity. Uh, it was, you know, first of all, I had a good experience when I went. They treated me, you know, like one of their own. I think it's story tradition. Ton of champions there. You know, they're known for more of the football than anything. But they had a lot of success in basketball. A lot of guys turned pro out of there. You know, and they're very competitive every year. I think Avery Johnson did a great job when he went. They got a new coach now. I mean, they've really turned their program yeah, into a They force. put guys in the league pretty yeah. consistently. Yeah, and you're playing in the top conference. I mean, the SEC is no slouch. There's no nights off. So I did that. I was all SEC when I played there. Started every game. I was the leading scorer on my team. In this situation, imagine if the cards were stacked for me. Right. 
what that would have been. Playing like. your position. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting plays ran like all the other top players on every team. Yeah. So I want people to understand that side of it. Like those intangibles can change the trajectory of your life like this. I feel like scouting is so much better now to a point where they would see that now. Yeah. And be like, okay, he's play he played out of position. He did a good job, but we're gonna have him in for workouts because I think he's a three. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Let's let's see his skills as a three right. and see if it translates. And then you end up going first round mm -hmm. based on potential. Right. Because you know there's certain systems, mm -hmm. like they would say, who's the only guy who can keep Michael Jordan under 30 points or under 20 points? Dean Smith. Right. Because of the offense that Dean Smith ran. Right. Jordan wasn't scoring 40 in college. He exactly. wasn't putting up numbers like that. But the NBA saw what he was capable of. Mm -hmm. And it makes it harder. I mean, I don't care who you are. You put LeBron in a spot where he's not uh, comfortable and he's going to look different too. Right. If he doesn't get drafted by Cleveland. Right. He gets drafted by somebody else and they decide, wow, this kid's big and athletic and, you know, we're, we're a playoff team. He might help us if he plays the four. Four, exactly. Be an energy guy. Yeah. Uses athleticism in his size. Yeah. Maybe LeBron James doesn't, you Pan know, out, right. end up as LeBron James. Right. Like KG said, I, I want to say Paul Pierce might have said it. A bunch of people have said it. You were LeBron James before LeBron James. Yeah. Game's a little different. You're a lefty. Yeah. Um, you're a few inches shorter. Mm -hmm. But it was the same idea. You were more dog. <laughs> more dog. <laughs> Shout out to Carl. Carl Krause out there. The X. I oh, see. Oh, the BX. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hairline's nicer than LeBron's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> give you that. It's real daddy. It's a real daddy. Yep. Heck, I love for you though, Bron. You know, it's all good. No Beijing in there, LeBron. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was the same idea. You were, you were front page uh, national phenom from, you know, 15 years old on like he was. I've never been a LeBron fan, like a personal fan of his, but you got to give him credit for, he went through what you went through. Right. He went through the fire. Yeah. And he came out without a burn on him. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. he's never been in trouble off the court. He made it, man. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's a testament to, to him. Uh, because it's it's not easy, right. as you know. Right. Um, it's it is fucking tough. The spotlight shines really bright, and some people just don't make it through that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, it's a testament to uh, his body of work. You know, to to add to 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 your commentary about it, I think it's something that he doesn't get enough credit about as far as the professionalism that he's embodied, and you know, just being a a man's man, taking care of his family doing right by his wife, you know, and his kids and stuff like that, off the court and his humanitarian efforts. I mean, I heard he smashed Rachel Nichols, but I don't know that. <laughs> no, I'm just throwing yeah. shit out. Like, yeah. I did hear that, but what do I know? You know what I mean? Yeah. But like I said, the guy's never been in trouble. I think he's corny, but uh, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm, right, right, I'm right. just keeping you. it a hundo. I got you. I got you. <laughs> you know, he's probably the second best player of all time. You got him yeah. top three? Where you got him? Man, I, I'm a... Man, this is tough. You know, uh, it's a lake show first and foremost. You got to remember where you at. So I know. You got magic. I'm putting him ahead of Bird. Yeah, you got magic. Yeah. You got Jordan. Yeah. You got you got you got Bird yeah. too. You got Kobe ahead you got of Kobe. LeBron. I mean, it all depends on what. You probably got Worthy ahead of LeBron. Let me say this. <laughs> Let me say this. I I got Magic. I got Jordan. Kobe and LeBron. It depends on what you're looking for. Yeah. You know when when you're looking at that. I think. From a from a, a competitive aspect, that a guy that's just gonna be a nail biter, I, I'm probably gonna take Kobe over LeBron in that aspect because I think LeBron's more like a Magic, 
when he approaches the game as far as from a facilitating right, aspect. Right, right. Where Kobe's coming in like I was. I'm going to annihilate you. I'm going to be a killer out here, and I'm going to pass second. LeBron is looking to get guys involved and then take advantage of the opportunities from there. So from that aspect, I would give Kobe three and LeBron four. But LeBron overall, from one to five, I've never seen anybody with his prowess to be able to play every position. Yeah. You know? What similarities and what differences do you see in your game and Zion's game? Because I think there's there's some parallels there. Yeah, for sure. the explosiveness. I think the antics, you know, are around in and around the game and, and the fanfare that is being celebrated for his for his prowess. I think his strength and his his size, his athleticism at his size, and to be able to move like that at, at two eighty five or whatever. Yeah, he's he he's he's bigger. He's yeah. taller and he's bigger. Yeah. than you were, but. If YouTube was around in 1994, 95, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be fair. It, w- it, w- it was yeah. the same thing. I, I just I, I hate they didn't see my footage, man. I know. Honestly, like if people could have seen the footage, I wouldn't have to do all this talking. <laughs> <laughs> you make a good point. I I just don't think a lot of people they either don't remember or they just didn't see it or they're too young and and they just think LeBron and Zion are the only thing, right? You know, because that's that's all they know, but. Man, there were guys like you and Ronnie Fields that were doing this stuff a long time ago. Yeah, he was special, man. Ronnie Fields, shout out to the shy. You end up not getting drafted. Yeah. What was the whole pre-draft night like for you? Were you getting promises? Were you, where did you think you were going to go? Well, I was told from my agent at the time I'd be a mid-late first-round pick. Did you do all the workouts? No, like I, teams? Did I only, I only did one workout, surprisingly. Uh, I went to the pre-draft, one of the top 50, only 50 every year ago. I was one of them, so I felt good about my chances. Uh, in uh, Portsmouth? No, nah, in Chicago. Oh, the oh, the, the Chicago combine. Moody Bible. Yep, yeah. Mo- I live across the street from Moody Bible now. Wow. I try to go in their gym and play, and they never let me in there. They tell me I got to know a student. Yeah. I'm like, hey, let me give you 20 bucks. And they're like, that's right, that's right. they're a Bible school. They don't want my 20 bucks. Right. Try to bribe a Bible school. <laughs> Crazy yeah, that, it was something else, man. I mean, I tested well. I had the, the second uh, best bench press time next to Justin Love. Athletically, was off the charts. You know, I had an injury, so the shoulder surgery. Where Remember I think, where your vert was? It was around a 40 and a half. Yep. Yeah, straight up, no no, no step. 6'5", 230, 6'5", uh, 220. I was about 215, 220 at that okay. time, yeah. And, you know, for me, it was just kind of... Showing, showing my ability from an individual aspect. I killed the one-on-one drills. Everything went well. And then we got to the playing aspect. I was being coached by Bill Cartwright, and uh, I was playing with A.J. Guyton. Awkward like Cartwright. Yeah, yeah, Indiana guy that's from Chicago. Yeah, I remember and, Guyton. And he, uh, he was shooting the ball a lot, you know. So we, we had a conversation in the locker room, and, you know, we almost got into a fight. And I said, dude, you know, you got to get a rock up. Man. Let me get some. Yeah, you ain't the only one that can score on this team. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was a little friction there, and I saw a little favoritism that Cartwright was showing him since Cartwright is a Bulls guy, mm-hmm. AJ's from Chicago. He ended up Indiana, going to the Bulls, didn't he? Right, playing Indiana, stuff like that. So I could see certain things because I knew what to look for because I saw how people were courting me, and I saw how they took the AJ, and I'm like, why am I on this team? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm thinking, like, oh, they don't know my talent. So it was kind of tricky how that was going, but I said, whatever, I'm going to just kill these individual workouts. Now, Jamal Crawford, who went to school in L.A. and went to Dorsey, but he's from Seattle. He went to Dorsey? Yeah, me and him before he went back to uh, Seattle. So me and him. Shout out to Chacon. 
That's right. That's Yanni the handyman's girl. She went to Dorsey. <laughs> Go ahead. You <laughs> don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, he slid that one in there. But uh, no, you know, shout out to Jamal Crawford, man, Jay Smooth. But Jay Crossover. You know, my thing was, he came to me like three days in, like, man, they saying I'm going top ten. Supposed to be going number nine. I said, well, what did you do that I didn't do? Because I don't. I don't even know if we had played yet. We were just doing like individual training and stuff like that and being tested. And sure enough, he got drafted top 10. And he had went through like some academic issues, I think some character you stuff. He did one or two years at Michigan? Yeah, and he, he didn't even play the whole season. Right. He had to sit like three or four months for something. So yeah, yeah. you just never know. So I came out of that thinking, I don't know what's going to happen. And my agent's like, no, no, no. I talked to the scouts. They really like you. They said you represented well. You know, you should be, you'll probably go to Minnesota, the Utah Jazz, or possibly even the Clippers. So the draft comes around. Who was the one team you worked out for? The Clippers. Okay. And the draft comes around. I'm at the house. Me and my brother, we, we decided to go get some uh, go get some chicken wings, some hot wings from this place, Legends, in Belmont, where we just left on 2nd Street. Yep, yep. They were known for it. And uh, we're excited. Coming back, I'm like, all right, this, this should be good. I got my trainer in the house, mom, dad, brother, me, and the agent. We're all sitting down watching the draft. I'm just watching. I want to stay strong, my Swift out of LSU. Nah, I, th- I think he went second. Did he? I think. So who was first? I uh, can't remember. The draft doesn't work out. You end up not hearing your name called. First round goes by, you don't hear it. You definitely think it's being called second round. Or do you just panic set in? Right. Is, uh, is panic setting in at this point? You know, it's just, it's just an uneasiness, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, what's going on? You know, like, my agent told me I'm mid-late first round guaranteed, and all these other floating pieces is, is hanging in the balance, and they keep talking about these guys that's on the board as sleepers, and I'm one of them, but my name's not being called. So I started wondering, like, uh, this might not work out too good. You know, it, it just kind of started seeing the handwriting on the wall as we got into the second round. I said, well, now we're coming into non-guaranteed contracts. It's really going to get interesting. And, you know, I watched the whole second round, and name was never called. I was demoralized. You know, it's like my body of work, everything that I worked towards came crashing down under one moment. And I walked outside, took a walk around my neighborhood, and started crying like a little baby. Did like a lap around my community and came back. And in that time, I just thought to myself, what did I want to do with my life and where was I going from here? And I knew that I was going to play for pay somewhere. So it was all about, well, what's my next move? Was it an exaggeration or uh, a rumor to say that you were suicidal at that point or somewhere along the line? Yeah, I think it. Which is what I read somewhere. Yeah, I had thoughts and stuff like that. That's when it, it started to creep in. I think um, it was more prevalent. As I, as I went on through my career, you know, when I played pro internationally, I went into Europe, you know, playing in Eastern Europe and Yugoslavia, you know, formerly Belgrade, Serbia now. Just not playing in the NBA, being in Europe, making money there, having the experience, playing well, and then you don't play for three games. It, it was just like tumultuous. The you're, experience. You, sometimes you're in you're in a situation where you're just not happy. Yeah. So you're playing basketball, what you love, and you're not happy. Right. And that's gotta that's gotta be frustrating. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. It wears on you. And yeah. It, it made me question: Do I want to continue doing this? Right. You know, I'm sure. Something that I love so much, 
how did I get to this point? And I was able to entertain so many people. And you got to sit back and watch your peers play in the NBA in your downtime. And you're like, man, I could serve half these dudes. in the Right. League. You see guys that you know that, I mean, to the easiest way to put it is you're just better than them. Right. You know? Right. And they're getting a chance that you never got. Right. It's unfortunate. And I can, I can relate as far as like you were suicidal or whatever you want to call it at that point. I would say... I definitely went through a period of life where, you remember in Menace? Yeah. When he says, Kane, do you care whether you live or die? Mm-hmm. I definitely was at a point where I didn't care. Right. I wasn't thinking about picking up a gun and putting it to my head. I wasn't thinking about swallowing pills, but I just didn't care. And right. I was living recklessly. And it didn't matter if I got hurt or anybody else got hurt. And it's a terrible way to live. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm not living like that anymore. And I'm glad you're you seem much happier now. Yeah. You've definitely yeah. you know turned the page and moved on from that. But it's definitely got to be devastating. Absolutely. To go through that. Yeah, I, I have my good days and bad days, but I'm at peace. You know, I've given my life to the Lord, and you know, it, it's about my my faith and my life of service today. How many people that I can impact and that I can help, rather than you know how I can further myself. I think you know you get the desires of your heart when you step out of that box and you help other people. And that's where I reside in that space today. I think people that work in service, any type of service, those are the happiest people in the world. Yeah. They might not make the most money. Right. But they're happy. Right. Because there's nothing that feels like the gratitude you get from helping other people. Absolutely. You know? Right. I, I I don't help people. I would say I don't even do it enough. But when, when I do do it, I know that I'm... It's almost like a drug right. where you like, you're high for the next like week or two where you're just like, wow, I'm really glad. I feel good about myself that right. I, I did that, that good deed or whatever Absolutely. it is. You know? Absolutely. So what do you think was lacking in your game that made teams hesitant to give you that chance? I don't even think it was the, the skills. I mean, I had everything. It was just more about... You don't think it had to do with anything physical? Nah. I, I mean, if anything, it might have been my, my surgery that they were hesitant to take a chance on me because I was a lefty and I had this reconstruction to my shooting arm. But how do you deny the numbers after? You know, I was, I was dropping 30 everywhere I went. Down yeah, there. Yeah. So it was a different shape, but the ball was still going in the hole. So, you know, it goes back to the expectation. When you build somebody up so big, you leave them no room but to fail in the fall yeah. and then who's there when you fall and then that redemption of getting back up getting back on that horse and how are you riding then like are you the same are you better are you worse and I felt like it was almost unfair because like the system failed me from school to the pros there was a stagnation of two years in my career right where I was stifled right no development yeah and and it's hard because the momentum the timing the rhythm you lose, and it's really hard to regain that. What Were you hearing anything from sources in the league or anything? This is why, whether it was uh, we think he's an off-the-court problem or his shoulder or he doesn't shoot it well enough or were there things that you were hearing? Honestly, nah. I mean, I, I wasn't really hearing a whole lot because everybody that I talked to when it came to me coming out, they were like, yeah, we're hearing you're going first round and you might not be around when we pick, but if you are, we're interested in, in taking you. Yeah. And this was from like four or five different teams, you know, and 
things happen. Like they say, stranger things have happened. I've come to the realization that my story was going to go this way, whether I liked it or not. You know, I had to be the lesson for so many other blessings, you know. So now I'm, I'm a vessel. That's what this is. Like, people still talk about me 25 years later for what I did on the court. So I would say I succeeded in my mission because there's a lot of people that hooped that we forgot about. Yeah, it's true. How much of it do you blame yourself and how much of it do you blame on outside influences? I've, I've heard about the distractions. You know, there's the agents, there's the recruiters, there's the hangers-on, like mm-hmm. the entourage stuff mm-hmm. going on. I don't know if how many people were hanging out with you trying to get, you know, scraps. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you had, you realize who your real friends are mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. People that let you down that you thought you could trust. Women. Yeah. You know, yeah. that were waiting for you to to sign that deal. Yeah. You know, I mean, how much of it do you blame on yourself? How much do you blame it on outside influences? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily blame it on myself. I think I did everything I needed to do to be put in a position for success, you know, for things to work out. I think the system failed me in that aspect. I think I don't necessarily put blame on anybody. I just know that there was outside sources that came in that did things that, took away from my body of work and where I was going. And it made it a lot harder to accomplish the goal. Now, who that is, I don't know exactly for sure, but, you know, I have an idea. And I think as people watch the documentary, they'll be able to fill in certain blanks as well. But, you know, I want people to be inspired by my story. I think I've been blessed because God pardoned me from the NBA. And... When I say that to people, they look at me like I'm, I'm I'm crazy, but they don't understand the engine behind it. It's not what you think it is. A lot of these guys are not happy with all that money. They're Absolutely. Miserable, okay? And they don't know who really loves them and who's really for them. They're just on this roller coaster ride. It's like, man, it's fun. We're at Magic Mountain. And the ride's going to end sometime. We're going to enjoy it while it lasts. So for me, being up uprooted out of that, I was displaced from my peers in this new world that I'm in today, it gave me a sense of peace because I know whatever God does through me now, nobody can take from me. No agent, no scout yep. can block that. I know there's guys out there that I've spoken to that to this day they don't know, besides their family, who really loves them. Mm-hmm. Their wife, their girlfriend, their best friends. They don't know. Mm-hmm. you know, Because like you said, you don't know what reason they're around you until you lose everything. Mm-hmm. And if they're still there, you might have a real one. Right. You know, right. but it's tough. It's tough to, uh, it definitely messes with, uh, gives you trust issues and all types of baggage. Absolutely. You went overseas, you played a bunch over there uh, France, Venezuela, Serbia, DR, Mexico, Italy, Greece, mm-hmm. Iran. Some great experiences, I'm sure. Some lonely nights, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Some amazing food in my opinion, mm-hmm. in a lot of those spots. Mm-hmm. What what sticks out about your experiences over there? Obviously, we don't have the time to just talk about all of them, but... Just the growth, I think, um, as a young man, you know, being exposed to international way of doing things at 20 years old, playing in the EuroLeague with KK Partizan in, in Belgrade, Yugoslavia, which is now Serbia. Uh, that was Vlade Divac's team, Correct. right? Correct. Him and Sasha Danilovic was the general manager. Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, Eastern Europe... That was like the hotbed and still is, I think, for a lot of the talent 
outside of Russia. Absolutely. Is that Croatia, you know, Serbia, Slovenia, yeah. that market in there. So that was a good experience for me. The food was good. My teammates embraced me. But it was hell for the first six weeks. You know, just going to sleep at night. The adjustment. Tour. Yeah, and... just everything was different, you know. And I think that's the hardest thing for an American to make an international adjustment, to, to gravitate to things that are foreign and to find peace in there. And when I was able to do that, it made me a better person. And it let me know that if I can do this internationally, I can live wherever back home. Yeah. You know, it prepared me for life. Yeah. There's also the the language barrier, but there's one language we all speak. Yeah, that and, universal. Uh, huh? Yeah, and that's always fun. Yeah. You know, that, that helps you get through a lot of those lonely nights. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you lay down, everybody's the same size. You know? <laughs> yep. I'm sure we could do a whole podcast on that. I see, right. man. <laughs> Um, you also played in some um, some pro leagues in the U.S., including the Long Beach Jam. Mm-hmm. You in the ABA, correct? Won a championship with them and played with Rodman. That's right. I know you got some type of Rodman story for us. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is, you know, watching him play with Jordan and then getting a chance to meet him after hearing all this stuff about him as a person. It's it was I was glad I was able to meet him and connect with him because he's a good dude, you know, and he's a very smart player too. Um, the best at what he did. I've never seen anybody rebound the ball like yeah, that. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, me and him, we got caught up underneath the basket, and he, like, did some vet move and grabbed my wrist. I couldn't even move. I'm like, damn, how did he do that? Like, like a Jedi mind trick. Yeah, just real quick, grab it, hold, and then release, I grab the rock. It was just like, yeah, that comes from all the years of experience. And for a guy his size could cover bigs like nobody I've seen yeah. his size, like a 6'8 guy. He was, was he 6'8? Yeah, 6'8. 6'8 could cover... A seven foot. I used to see him effectively cover Patrick Ewing, effectively mm-hmm. cover seven foot dudes, and like right. you know, you see guys match up with them. Oh, he did okay. He right. held his own. Right. He didn't hold his own. He actually did the job. Exactly. Like, yeah, really he was impressive. Tough, man. He was tough. I actually met Rodman. The Rodman I met was the one that we see on TV. Uh, he was out at this club in Miami. I was uh, man. This is a crazy story. I was with. Elton, uh, Elton Tyler, Bad News Bonds, a couple uh, Miami, ex-Miami Hurricane basketball players, friends of mine. I was friends with um, O.J. Simpson's daughter, okay. Arnell. Okay. So Arnell takes us out. She says she's got a club she wants to take us to. Her friends are going to be there. Uh-huh. So we go, and her friend that we're going to hang out with is Dennis Rodman. Wow. So we got the drunken club, Miami, South Beach, party time Rodman. It was it was a trip, it was a trip. But I'm sure you seen you seen that side of him too if you yeah. played with him first yeah. season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he definitely had a good time, and he there was no shortage of parties. That's for yeah, sure. yeah. What a night. <laughs> uh, so so one of your main things now is you retired at 30. You had a daughter. Mm-hmm. You would you say your daughter led to your retirement, or would your retire, retirement happen and then? That led to a lot of sex, and that led to your daughter. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, my daughter led to my retirement, and I was going down the wrong road, man. It got to a point where I was just like, I stopped caring. Like, I checked that. I was just playing for the check. Toward the yeah, end. yeah. You know, Especially when you're switching teams every year. Yeah. You don't develop that, like, that... That, that camaraderie of yeah, the team. being faithful to that team and, and faithful to that city and wanting to bring them a championship. It's, right. You become a mercenary. Exactly. Exactly. I think uh, the the, the uh, retirement had to happen. I knew there was things that I had to do here. There was some unfinished business 
back home and I thought about what I wanted to do after when I was finishing up and I knew I wanted to do something in the communications field. So the mentoring that I'm doing now is right on point. Uh, we have our foundation, Man Child Lead Foundation. It's basically no child left behind is the model with that. And it's a 360 approach. So I'm looking forward to building that. And the for-profit Shaykh Inc. that I've been running for the last 11 years, you know, around the horn. And it's working well. We do a lot of training one-on-one and mentoring for kids all throughout the Southland. And, you know, for years to come, I think I got some kids I'm working with that could be pretty special. Paying it forward. If you like it, I love it. I think it's it's great. Uh, it's, it's definitely seems like it's filling you up mm-hmm. in a way that, playing over in Eastern Europe or South America couldn't quite do, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm happy for you that you're Thank doing you. that stuff. I think it's time to keep it a hundo. Can you keep it a hundo? Yes, sir. All right. I want you to give me a starting five. The best five to come out of L.A. that you've seen play ball. You either played with, against, or seen them. Myself, John Hotplate Williams, Raymond Lewis, rest in peace, Paul Pierce, Baron Davis. Love it. Love it. I'm so glad you threw a Celtic in there. <laughs> Who you got one-on-one? Jesus Christ versus Jesus Shuttlesworth. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Yeah. yeah he don't miss shots. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. A lot of the guys I ask take Shuttlesworth over Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite player growing up? I think I already know that answer. Uh, the Magic Man and uh, Ron Harper. Oh. In the Cleveland okay. days. Not Chicago. Before Cle- the knee And the Clippers. Yeah, before the knee surgeries. He tore his knee up with the Clippers or with Cleveland? You remember? With the Clippers. With the Clippers, okay. So he had a little good time with the Clippers. The other one is somebody local. Somebody when you were a kid you grew up watching maybe, maybe a street ball legend or? Uh, From here? Well, when I was a kid, the biggest thing out of Pedro was Mike Sestich, uh, a guy that was uh, Yugoslavian descent. That's what I'm talking about, something like that. Yeah, Yugoslavian descent. And I mean, he was like... White dude, tall, slender. He had a nice stroke. He could get to the basket. You know, he just, he was smooth. I was like, man, this dude could play a little bit. At that time, he was like the benchmark for me and my brother. Yeah, you have a big, uh, what, Croatian community in yeah, San Pedro? Pedro? Yeah, Croatian, Yugoslavian. It's like a, a melting pot. and um, Italian, too. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's an influx. You know, you got the Hispanic community, black community, white community. But there was another guy, Joy Johnson, who was one of Dennis's brothers. Oh, okay. And he went to uh, Banning High School, played at, I think, Grand Canyon University. Yep, Phoenix. Yeah, had a 50-inch vertical leap. He's the only dude I've ever seen shoot jump shots downward. <laughs> Throwing it down yeah, at the hoop on, on the from bank, 20 like, feet. Okay, he's, he's hanging, and he's up at the rim. How is this going to work? You know, <laughs> it, was, it was just crazy. I've never seen that kind of athleticism. I think he got the high jump record in the Guinness Book of World Records or something. Wow. Yeah, so great athletic family. It was him and Mike Sestich. And then from that point, it was just kind of like, all right, we got to make our mark now. I want to be the biggest guy to ever come out of Pedro. Me and my brother, that was our goal. I think we might have accomplished it. You're the most well-known guys out there for sure. Yeah, I think we might have accomplished it. You know, uh, Dennis Johnson, people don't realize, he was a big scorer before he came to the Celtics. That's right. He was like a a 27-a-game guy in uh, Seattle and Mm -hmm. Phoenix, I Mm -hmm. think. Really athletic score and then he came to the Celtics and he was more of a facilitator and mm-hmm. you know but Larry Bird said he was the best player he ever played with 
That says a lot. You Solid. played with a bunch of Hall of Famers. And I coached, I, I was coached by him in the Clippers in the summer league. Really? True story. I played against Seattle, Flip Murray out of Philly. Yep. Went to Shaw. Yep. Um, he could score. Yeah. I mean, he, he dragged our guards. And then I think I might have had like 13 minutes. I had like 17 points and like eight rebounds. Dennis pulled me to the side after the game. He said, listen, Cotton, you know, I like your game. You're strong. You're tough. Athletic. You can score. If I'm here, I'm signing you to the Clippers. He got fired the next morning in summer league. All right? That doesn't so, even happen. Yeah, that's my point. So we, we talk about opportunities when I could have cracked in another door slam. It, it always takes one person to give you a chance. Yep. And, and the stars weren't aligned. Absolutely. You know? So I, I know that, that it wasn't in the cards for me. Yep. No matter what would have happened. And, yep. But look, man, I mean, I'm right where I'm supposed to be at. We got this doc coming out, working on this mini series potentially here. You know, the book's coming. The merch. Shea Cotton Manchild coming out soon, or it's going to be coming to a theater near you. Uh, we're going to have a screening, or he's going to have a screening uh, in most major cities this coming up this year. Absolutely. Uh, top five rappers, dead or alive? Oh, man. I got I got Kiss, Jay to the moi. Yeah. All right, I got Jay to Kiss. Uh, let me see. Yonkis. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's Y.O. Davies. I like it. Who, yeah, you said you're a big New York guy. So. Yeah, I, I love the, the lyricists. Um, and out here, I like Kendrick Lamar. I heard Davies, Davies could hoop. Yeah. He was a big AAU guy and yeah. didn't quite make it because of some trouble. Right, yeah. right. That's that. He talks about that, too. And then, you know, guys like, uh, obviously, Snoop Dogg, Problem. Hometown. Yeah, stuff like that. You know yeah. what I mean? But for me, definitely Jadakiss is number one. Dave East is up there as Nas's artist. He knew what he was looking at when he found him. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very, very talented. And uh, I got to go down south, man. Scarface. Yeah. So we got Scarface, Jada, Jada, Dave East, Dave East, Snoop, Snoop, Kendrick, and Kendrick. Okay, yeah. I like that list. A little mix. You got East Coast, West Coast, and the South. That's right. All right. Top five out of L.A. Rappers. Yep. Snoop, Cube, Kendrick, Kendrick. I don't want to leave nobody out. Yeah. Well, you say L.A. because I want to go to the Bay. Nah, you can't yeah, go yeah. to the Bay. You can go to Long Beach. You can't right. go to the Bay. Our game got to be in there. That's four. Uh, I didn't put Easy in there. I'm wondering if I need to put Easy e in there. This I, think, way. I, think he ma- I think he makes it. Yeah, I, top five. I'll put Easy in there, too. All right. But you did miss one big one. You ever meet Nipsey? That's <laughs> See, that's the one that I was thinking I about. I never got a chance to meet him, though. Okay, because yeah. I know you had some some ties with him with some yeah. business people and whatnot. Yeah. I, I, but you know what? Right now, he's been like probably the most played out of a lot of the artists that I listen to because a lot of his music speaks to me. Yeah. You know. I, I, I've been listening to him for a long time, and uh, it definitely touched me when, when that stuff happened. Uh, he, was, he was great. He'll be missed. 85 yeah. with the 380s. Summertime functions, LA Street's crazy. Do you remember the first time you heard Doggy Style? Snoop Dogg, first yeah, album? Yeah, I think I was like in middle school, 6th, 7th grade. Man, it was, it was banging too. Everybody was Hard. listening to it. No, like I'm talking in the suburbs of Boston, people couldn't get enough of it. Man. I remember, I think it was the end of my freshman year of high school or something, or maybe 8th grade, and we like left school 
and went back to somebody's house and were partying and listening to that album all day. We were jumping off a pool, uh, a roof into a pool, listening to that. Like I, that, yeah. that's what it makes me think of. Right, yeah. right, that was big time. So many hits, so many hits. I mean, he's world renowned. Uh, he's huge now. But uh, who would have thought that back then? You right, know, that kid out of the LB Lakers all time starting five. And you got to do it by position. You can't have five point guards. All right, Magic at the one. B. Scott at the two. We got uh, Worthy at the three. Hold up. Can't play Kobe at the four or five. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so I got I got Kobe. Let me see. You got Magic, B. Scott, Kobe, LeBron, Kareem. Put LeBron at the four. LeBron. Because that's what he's going to resign to here pretty soon anyway. So you got Worthy's coming off the bench. Right. You got Shaq coming off the bench. You got Wilt coming off the bench. Jerry West coming off the... Jerry West is losing minutes to B. Scott. Yeah, hey, you know what? It is what it is. What the hell did you just say? (laughs) You know, when the game's on the line, I like like what B. Scott did. And he's an L.A. native, too. So you got to remember. Inglewood, right? Inglewood High School. Inglewood. Inglewood, always up to no good. Yep. Who do you see in the league now that reminds you of Shea Cotton in his prime? Great question. Um, uh, there's there's nobody like me when I look at guys, the way they play. Um, Zion would be a comparison. Zion but, was the only one I thought of when I wrote this question. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's clear differences in similarities. Yeah, and he hasn't, he hasn't played in the league yet, so we don't know how he's going to look yet. But I think his explosiveness and his prowess – resembles myself. I saw, I think it was Enos Cantor came out yesterday and said, Zion's overrated. He's Julius Randle with more hops. Mm. I don't feel that bad about that comment. Right. Like, right now, who's to say that's not what he is? Right. You know what I mean? Right. That might be what he is. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. That'd be a really good player. Mm-hmm. I do question if a guy who jumps that much at that size is going to last. Yeah. You know? Yeah. His game has to he has to transition into a, a different game at some point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Does he have that skill set? I don't know. Yeah, we're going to see. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing. Right. It's going to be exciting though, that's for sure. Yeah. I love what I see of him so far. Yeah. <laughs> uh so we said who reminds who reminds you of Shea Cotton in his prime? What was your prime? I'd say my prime was, uh, considering I had such early success, it was in high school. You know, my prime was in high school because college was was a labor. Was but do you but do you think that the player you were in high school was better than what you were in college? Yeah. Not not were you getting better results, but were you actually better, a better basketball player? I think the the system was set up for me to have more success in high school. At, at my natural position. So if they had built the team around you in college, you think things would have worked out probably the same? Uh, yeah, I think there would have been a lot more success. Yeah. You know, and a better turnout. Imagine if you went to, I don't know, like John Morant coming out of Murray State. Imagine if you went to like a Murray State. I mean, even if you went to Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been a different result, I think. Probably. And, you know... I look at that too, but then I say it would have been something else yeah. to go with that. Yeah. You know. Blow your knee out. Yeah, and anything. Back then, a torn ACL was a death sentence. Best teammate you ever had? Uh, my buddy, Darren Height, modern day high school. 
with Princeton graduate. I think he's a doctor now or a lawyer. He lives in the Bay Area. Great guy, come from a great family. Just a humble dude, unassuming, very smart, cerebral. Uh, you know, taught me a lot just about the modern day approach to things when I first got acclimated to the school and really took me under his wing. I never forgot that. So, shout out to my man, Darren Height. It's a good answer. Best left handed player of all time. Shay's a lefty. Mm, I have to say myself. Favorite country overseas that you played in? Uh, what favorite as far as what? Do what you want with it. Could okay. be, could be the food. Could be. Well, I, the females could be. I can't have more than one, right? Uh, it's got to go be ahead. one. Nah, go ahead. Uh, Venezuela for the the weather and the women. Yeah. Uh, Italy for the gondolas and the food. What city were you in, in Italy? Uh, Venice. I was in. Benetton Palo Verde. Yep. Uh, there at that. At that you that, said gondolas, I assumed, but yeah, I didn't want to yeah, assume um, too much. Yeah, I think that, I mean, in Greece, I like, because I like Mediterranean food and Greek food, so I'd have to say Greece for the cuisine. Nice. Yeah. All right. Craziest teammate you ever had? Well, I wouldn't say Robin because I got a different Robin at that time. Probably Meta at that time in high school. You know, I was playing with Riverside Church. They, I gave them like almost 40 in the Bull Williams tournament in Virginia, and we won it down there. You played for Riverside? Yeah. They brought me in after we beat them in the Bull Williams tournament in Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I know ARC. about the Bull Williams tournament. Yeah, out here with LA team, we won it that year. So it had never happened. With Rich Goldberg, ARC, shots out to Rich. He brought Jason Kidd in from Oakland. He played with ARC in high school, so he would fly him down every weekend Damn. to play here. Yeah, so meta. Yeah, Meta, Meta was a he was he was a he was a piece of work, man. He he had a lot of high energy, and he was like a live wire at that time. But there was stuff going on after watching his doc yeah. that he didn't even know how to handle, you know. So I'm glad that they made that spin on his film about the mental health piece and how he's transcended. Absolutely. All right, overrated or underrated? I'm gonna throw a couple names at you. Russell Westbrook. Or properly rated? I think properly rated. Kyrie? Overrated. James Harden? Overrated. Kawhi? Underrated. CP3? Overrated. Jimmy Butler? Underrated. Trey Young? Underrated. Zion? He's yet to be known. Uh... D'Lo, uh, D'Angelo Russell. I think underrated. And last one, Lonzo Ball. Overrated. All right, I like that. Like, I don't know if anybody else cared about those answers, but I like hearing them. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm an NBA junkie. That's right. Um, is LaMelo an NBA player? I don't think so. But I've never seen him play other than this. It looks like he's playing against, you know. I watched him play in the school this past death. week. Is there any music that you listen to? That you would be embarrassed if you pulled up to a red light and you were bumping it? Maybe put the windows up? The car next to you was looking over at you? Something that's super explicit, you know? Talking about pussy and <laughs> okay. else, you know? Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be? If I had listened to one album the rest of my life, what would it be? That's a great question. Um, All Eyes on Me, Tupac, or... 
Or something like Biggie Ready to Die. Yo, that was like such that. an efficient answer. It was so efficient because yeah. Tupac, that album is a double disc. Yeah. You're getting two CDs. Exactly. That's exactly. a great answer. Right. But the, the Biggie one should have been Life After Death because yeah. that's a double. Yeah. The Ready to Die is a single. Yeah, I like the Ready to Die. I know, it's hard. I know. He, he came wrong. Now, you know what I <laughs> mean? Yeah, either one of those, you can't go wrong. But I think the Tupac, the first one, stick to that one. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to rock one pair of kicks for the rest of your life, what would you wear? Probably the Jordan 5s. Durable Jordan 5s. Yeah, those are my favorite. They're soft. Comfort. Okay, so yeah. you're going for comfort. Oh, absolutely. And they yeah. got the air bubble for cushion, too. Yeah. You know? yeah. And the look, though, the reflecting tongue. They look fresh with your kicks and your clothes. Man, they did their thing with those. 5s and the 9s. The 9s is dope, too. Oh, I think I'm more 4s and 11s. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right, so usually I close on this one. Death Row meal. Last Supper? Yes, sir. Surf and turf. I want a... Specific. I want a ribeye steak. Yeah. And lobster tail. How you cooking the steak? Medium well. What? No, stay at medium. No. That's enough. <laughs> That's blood still, right? A little bit. Pink. pink okay. Inside. I had to try it. As long as it ain't bleeding, I could eat it. Don't cook it too. You know, if you order a steak that's cooked too, like if you order well done or even medium well, yeah. they give you a worse cut. Because they're like, oh, we don't have to use the good piece on this. We use it on. Wow. That's facts. Interesting. At a good steakhouse, that's what they do. Okay. Because you can't really taste as much if it's cooked more. But what are you tasting in medium compared to medium well? You get more flavors because you, you cook in a that's way too to much believe. of the flavor. In a ribeye? Yeah. I got There's so try much that. fat in there. Right. Ribeyes are full of fat. Exactly. That's where the flavor comes in. Exactly. If you cook it away, you're getting rid of, rid of a lot of the flavor profile. Oh, man. I got to try that. Medium. Telling you. Medium. It's not, it's not that bloody. Okay. Okay. I, I like medium rare now. Medium is fine. Wow. Telling you. Sorry. Right, so you got... Sorry about that. Hundo Weiss just popped in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So you got you got your medium ribeye. Right. You got a lobster tail? Yep. And then what are you putting on the side? I know you got something on the side. Strong butter. And then probably some uh, rice pilaf and some veggies. What we got? Uh, broccoli, asparagus. Yeah, just sorted. Yeah, broccoli, asparagus, you know, some cauliflower, and, you know, whatever, cabbage. Okay. And what are you having to drink with it? <sighs> a nice, nice bottle of wine. Yeah, I want a bottle. You going with a red? Yeah, a nice Chianti steak. or a Malbec. Woo! You know? Yeah, you know, we, we can do this. You know this dude spent some time in Italy. Okay. <laughs> and, and South America. You Absolutely. went with a Malbec. That's Absolutely. that's more of a South American yeah, Argentina, thing. Argentina, exactly. Yeah, yes, Mendoza. Yes, sir. All right. Um, dessert? You having dessert with it? Uh, yeah, I'll take some bread pudding, take it back to New Orleans. Damn. So normally I end on that, but I do have one specific question catered to Mr. Shea Cotton. If you could tell a 15-year-old Shea Cotton something, what would you tell him? Stay focused and stay humble. Never let somebody dictate your future, you know, and, and set your sights high and keep your goals to yourself. This has been a pleasure, and I really appreciate you having me, man. Thank you, likewise. My man, it was dope. And for those of you who wondered, hmm, whatever happened to Shea Cotton? Don't worry about him. He's doing just fine. I hope your expectations for this podcast were met. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shea Cotton. 
So as I mentioned in the intro, we've been in touch about getting his Manchild documentary screening in Miami and possibly some other cities. But since recording the podcast, I've been in touch with his business manager, Sam Washington. So Sam calls me up one day to discuss how we're going to go about getting this done. And he noticed my accent and asked me where I was from. And I said, Boston. He said his cousin was from Boston. And for the local people out there who listen, and maybe some others who know him from when he played at Providence College, he said his cousin is Jamal Kamar. Played against Jamal growing up. He played at Salem High. He was one of the best players in the area. Won a state championship with Scooney. And I actually played in Hoop It Up at the Square One Mall in Saugus. Me, Jamal, and Sean Stellato went to the finals of the uh, Hoop It Up tournament back in like 95. Any conversation that can bring Square One Mall... Spotlight Stellato and Jamal Kamal, full circle, I'm down. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Shay Cotton. Continue downloading and subscribing. Please share it. I need people to share it. I need more people to be aware of what I'm doing over here. Because right now, my reach isn't as big as it should be. I want new ears. I want new opinions. I want more feedback. So please support keeping the hundo. See you next time. Fuck the frail shit. Uh, Cause when my coat come in, they gotta use the scale that they weigh the whales with. Carlson's on the Jeep. Bugatti made the prototype. Hope you get the picture, but you just can't photo light. Termin niggas make it. Kicking down the door and we burning niggas naked. The house costs a million. Sitting on the beach and the only thing I know uh-huh. with this furnish, I'ma take it. My bathtub lift up, my walls do a 360. We got the shit that the government got. Talking money, then you rubbing the spot. Real niggas say that they be wild. We on the Cayman Islands, on the yacht with our favorite albums. A bad hole in a plate of salmon. Smoking and drinking, nigga, is you thinking that our fate is valid? I love my nigga for the fact that he real. And nobody on the back of the square. What? And if you facing capital pun, pass me a gun. And I'ma give you time to run while I rapidly peel. Quickly, and I don't like the rent, so when I fly now.